Hello and welcome. You're listening to The Final Word on Met Radio 1280 AM in Toronto. It's December 15th. I'm your host, Gabriela Silva-Ponte. Today, we'll be covering stories from Quebec's tuition hike, to the Climate Emergency Unit's YCC, to the City of Toronto's proposal to the Federal Housing Accelerator Fund. So, make sure to stay tuned into this live news segment. As always, let's first take a look at today's top news, as reported by Gabriel Hilty. December 15th, and you're listening to Met Radio 1280 AM in Toronto. I'm Gabriel Hilti. These are the top stories today. In Ontario, an announcement that beer and wine are coming to convenience and grocery stores. It'll happen by 2026. In Quebec, the tuition hike for out-of-province students is slightly reduced, and the government adds a requirement to learn French. And here in Toronto, a new proposal to rename Young and Dundas Square and two subway stations. Then, today's forecast plus sports update round off the show. Let's look at the headlines. On Thursday, Ontario Premier Doug Ford announced that beer, wine, cider, and ready-made cocktails will be allowed in corner stores and all grocery stores in the province. Global News and others report the move could take up to two years. Ford says the modernizing of Ontario's alcohol laws will come into effect no later than January 1st of 2026. Ontario will join Quebec as the second province in Canada to offer sales of beer and other alcoholic drinks in corner stores. It's a shift away from the current model, with the LCBO and the beer store acting as main distributors. The two outlets will still play key roles when the updated laws are implemented. The LCBO will remain the only place to buy spirits and will still be the main wholesaler for restaurants and bars selling alcohol and the beer store will control the distribution of beer until 2031. It will also continue to run the Deposit and Return Recycling Program for at least five years. Global News reports the shift in alcohol sales would fulfill a promise made by Ford during his 2018 election campaign. A key element of the plan allows retail outlets to set their own prices above the government-imposed floor prices. At the moment, All retail outlets have to follow the pricing set out by the Liquor Control Board of Ontario. The move for expansion is not without criticism. Ontario's Auditor General said in a report this month that the Ford government did not consult with Public Health Ontario on the impact of expanding alcohol sales. The Ontario Public Health Association also raised concerns earlier this year, saying an expansion would have negative health impacts. They pointed to research highlighting cheaper and more accessible alcohol, leading to increases in alcohol-related harm. The Toronto Star reports that Ford's Conservative government believes the move is right for shoppers and can help divert attention. Among other things, the Ford government is currently being investigated by the RCMP for the Greenbelt land swap scandal. Looking to Quebec, out-of-province students will have a reduced tuition hike next year, from what the government originally announced. CBC News and others report Canadian students from out of province 
will have to pay at least $12,000 in tuition. It's a hike of around 9000 but down from the original figure of 17000 in tuition proposed by the Quebec government. The slight reduction is accompanied by a new requirement to learn French. Quebec's three English-language universities, McGill, Concordia, and Bishops, will have to make sure 80% of out-of-province students learn French. The students will have to demonstrate a level 5 oral proficiency in French by the end of their undergraduate studies. The tuition hike comes into effect as of next fall, and the French language requirement the year after, in the 2025-26 academic year. Quebec's higher education minister, Pascal Derry, says the government wants the measures to help with the better integration of Canadian and foreign graduates into Quebec society. Quote, we believe that these adjustments will allow the entire university network to fully play its role in the protection, promotion, and enhancement of the French language in Quebec. Quote, Quebec government funding for the bigger universities, McGill and Concordia, is directly tied to them reaching the requirements of learning French. Their funds, specifically earmarked for acquiring out-of-province students, could be decreased if they don't meet the 80% mark. The move is a middle ground from the original announcement of doubling tuition for out-of-province students in Quebec. In Toronto, there's a new proposal for renaming Young and Dundas Square along with two subway stations. The Toronto Star reports the city's plan to rename all of Dundas Street is now replaced with only renaming the square and the two subway stations that carry the same name. Renaming a library is also part of the new proposal to remove the Dundas name, which comes from the 18th century Scotsman Henry Dundas. The city, in consultation with academic experts, found that his actions contributed to the perpetuation of the transatlantic slave trade. Councillor Chris Moisey tabled a motion on Thursday to undertake the process of renaming the square by June 2024 through a collaborative process. The motion also directs the renaming of Dundas subway station by late 2024 to be done in collaboration with Toronto Metropolitan University. Dundas West Station would be preferably renamed by 2025 and the Jane Dundas Library no later than June of 2024. It also directs the city to undertake a public education campaign on the impacts of Henry Dundas's actions and slavery in general. The motion is a step back from an original city hall vote in 2021, which also included renaming Dundas Street. City officials estimated the cost of this original plan between 11 and $13 million. In sports update, the Raptors snapped their four-game losing streak on Wednesday with a win against the Atlanta Hawks. They play again today at 7.30 here at Scotiabank Arena, trying to get closer to that three-win pizza party promised by Coach Darko. Looking at today's weather, it's finally sunny again, and that comes along with a double-digit high of 11 degrees during the day. The weekend does cool off a bit, though, to around 5, with clouds and the chance of showers on Sunday. That's everything for today. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at metradionews or at metradio.ca to stay posted on all the latest news content. I'm your host, Gabriel Hilti, and this is Met Radio 1280 AM in Toronto. Thanks, Gabriel. Again, that was Gabriel Hilti.
Meanwhile, the Climate Emergency Unit is fighting for a Youth Climate Corps here in Canada. I spoke with Toronto Youth Climate Corps organizer Bushra Asghar about what the YCC is. Yeah, so we are campaigning uh, Penn Canada uh, demanding a federally funded Youth Climate Corps. Um, if it is created in the way that we envision it, it would be a two-year-long job training program that anyone under 35 would be able to join uh, barrier-free to basically uh, get trained in climate adaptation and mitigation uh, work as, as that would be like low carbon. The idea is that uh, it would be a program that the federal government would create, so not a nonprofit that's external to the government. And ideally, they would be working with uh, provincial and local municipal governments, as well as Indigenous nations, uh, to basically um, understand which projects young people should be deployed to work on. Uh, that way, it, in one way, it would be materializing local climate action plans, as well as upholding Indigenous leadership. Um, yeah, and in terms of the payment structure, we're still figuring it out, but it is a campaign. And we would ideally want it to be cost-shared between the provinces and the federal government. Um, Recently, over 600 cover letters were brought to Minister for Women and Gender Equality and Youth Marcy Ian and Finance Minister Christia Freeland's offices. The letters sought to amplify the call for a National Youth Climate Corps group, the media release sent to Met Radio reads. It adds, quote, building on a recent abacus poll showing strong support for a YCC and Toronto City Council's recent motion endorsing the YCC, the letters represent further evidence that young people are eager to serve their communities and the country as this generation faces the defining challenge of our time. Asgar added details about the event and its significance. For sure. Um, yeah, so on, on the 30th of November, we ha we hand-delivered personalized uh, applications to a Youth Climate Corps, and we submitted around 650 of these applications from young people across the country, as well as more specifically based out of uh, the Toronto area. And uh, we were mobilizing on this since, you know, September. Um, and it, it, it's actually like a pretty wild campaign because it takes a lot of dedication for people to kind of sit down and write a cover letter or a letter. Uh, and we know, like, as young people, like, I mean, cover letters are kind of the bane of our existence, you know, without applications. Um, so it was, it was a really fun and creative uh, strategy to get um, Minister Ian and Minister Freeland's attention. We hand-delivered them to both. Uh, to both of them ind independently and um, it has been really great it, it was like a way for us to test uh, what the appetite was for the youth in Toronto around the idea for Youth Climate Corps this campaign uh, it was our first time really organizing on the ground in Ontario and in Toronto 
and, and it went really well. Um, in terms of the response, I would say we actually still haven't heard back from from Minister Eard. However, in, in quite a quick turnaround, um, we had MP Laurel Collins bring a motion in support of our campaign at the House of Commons. Uh, this happened on December 5th. There was a press conference at the House of Commons uh, that MP Laurel Collins did in support of her motion. We've had around uh, 15 different MPs sign this motion uh, in support. And, and they're still currently looking for like cross-partisan uh, MPs, so like liberal MPs or conservative MPs who will join their motion uh, that's like on the floor in support of a Ukraine Accord. Um, yeah, also because this is a campaign that really, I think, speaks to youth across the political spectrum. It's, it's not like for any specific party. Um, the other thing that came out of our action was that MP Laurel Collins was actually able to ask a question about the Yukon Accord uh, during the Q&A period at the House of Commons. And um, in response, uh, Liberal MP um, Adam Van, I, I'm going to really butcher his name, uh, but Adam Van Coverden, who is the MP for um Milton, that's the writing. He's also the parliamentary secretary to, I believe, the prime minister's office as well as uh, the minister of environment and climate change. But his response was uh, receptive. Like he, at the House of Commons, said that the UK of course sounds like a great idea and uh, they, they want to look into it. So it seems like the position of the Liberal Party or the party in, in, in power right now is... Um, is positive, like they haven't committed to anything, but they also haven't said no. Uh, we're going to continue to sort of build that momentum and find uh, insiders who are in key positions in the liberal government to sort of support our campaign and, and, and ideally support the motion that's also on the floor so that we can sort of build uh, cross-partisan support for it in the long term. And she went into detail about why it's so important for youth to get involved with these initiatives. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, first of all, really, really consequential for young people. I think what we've seen is that young people have really been leading um, the movement, uh, the climate movement specifically, uh, really pushing the bar uh, and, and saying um, incremental measures are not enough from the government. And uh, the campaign, the Youth Climate Corps campaign, comes out of the Climate Emergency Unit. And uh, at, at CU, our organization, we have the, the six markers of emergency, which basically talks about um, how a government acts when it's in an emergent mode. And one of our biggest critiques of the government is that it's actually not really acting in an emergent mode on the issue of climate, even though the federal government has declared climate as an emergency, um, we're still seeing like really incremental actions. And so right now, that's exactly what 
we're kind of focusing on. We're telling the government, like, hey, if you were acting in and dealing with climate, like the emergency that you say it is, you would institute a program like the Youth Climate Corps, uh, which would give young people um, the option to basically take action on climate uh, by dedicating, you know, two years of learning in a program like this where they get paid um, in the jobs of the future, like climate jobs, and, and get paid enough to kind of develop and establish a career in it, you know? Um, and, and and for us, it like the, the Youth Climate Corps, it's a campaign that's quite transformative and brash, and um, we're asking for a billion dollars of the federal government, uh, which a lot of policymakers believe is a lot of money so when you think about it, when you think about it, the federal government budget annually is around five hundred billion dollars, and so a billion dollars of that is almost a rapping error. Uh, and and so yeah, it's really interesting to have these conversations from the youth perspective, uh, especially because the federal government, in many ways, has really um, not been doing the youth like. Uh, justice in my perspective I think the Trudeau government uh, won multiple elections uh, because of the youth vote and there were a lot of promises that were sort of made to the youth but I think a lot of us are feeling um, pretty sorry there's a word that I'm thinking of uh, neglected, I would say, um, just on the climate front and, and on the youth profile, like, or on the youth um, file, because I don't know what they really have done for us. You know, we are looking in a job market that's extremely competitive. Uh, you need, like, multiple degrees and so much experience to really break into it. Um, we're dealing with, you know, the affordability crisis like everyone else's, but as young so it's even harder and like skyrocketing rents and stagnating wages and and the Youth Climate Corps campaign if it is instituted it is a really important counter offer to all of these things like young people uh, will be able to take committed political action by enrolling in a program like this which would um, definitively help out help their like eco anxiety climate anxiety their mental health it would help them become parts of their community reconnect with their local ecosystem it would give them a good paid job uh paid experience in in their fields so yeah this these are one of the many reasons we are campaigning for a ycc Finally, More Neighbors Toronto, a housing advocacy group, has showcased some disappointment with the City of Toronto's proposal to the Federal Housing Accelerator Fund. MNTO is calling on Federal Housing Minister Sean Fraser to reject the city's submission, quote, on the grounds that it fails to meet the urgency and scale required to address Toronto's housing crisis, end quote, according to its website. The University of Toronto Students' Union is partnering with MNTO. I spoke with Vice President of Public and University Affairs at the Students' Union, Aidan Thompson, about the housing advocacy organization. Yeah, 
Yeah, so More Neighbors Toronto is the kind of premier housing advocacy group uh, in the city of Toronto. They advocate for the uh, broad common sense deregulation of, of the housing market, uh, such that we're able to build more homes in, in the city of Toronto and welcome more people into those neighborhoods. He explained why there was some disappointment regarding the proposal. Yeah, certainly. So uh, typically the Housing Accelerator Fund is used by Minister Sean Fraser to uh, kind of force cities into deregulating their their housing market and legalizing a broader spectrum of housing, uh, particularly in communities that have historically had just single-family dwellings. Uh, when the city of Toronto uh, put forward their Housing Accelerator Fund application yesterday, though, uh, they did not take Minister Fraser's recommendations uh, on uh, like how to deregulate the housing market at face value and kind of like slipped in existing things that they had already done or were in the process of doing that really weren't sufficient. Uh, some of these changes were things that more neighbors and, and the UCSU had advocated for, uh, but they were really narrow in scope and didn't really take uh, the, like meet the, the measure of the challenge that Mr. Fraser had, had asked for. Uh, and so as a result, uh, many of us in the, in the housing advocacy groups were, were very disappointed. Uh, and the UCSU in particular was really disappointed. We had hoped to see uh, some student measures included. We'd hoped to, at the very least, just see that the city actually did what Master Fraser would, was asking them to do. Um, but we really felt short in that regard, and that was disappointing. He ex uh, Thompson went into detail about how the housing crisis is affecting University of Toronto students, which is also a reality for many Toronto Metropolitan University students. The current situation that we face uh, at U of T right now is that roughly 10% of our students are housed in, in on-campus student housing, uh, some of which is affordable, some of which isn't. The remaining students, roughly 30%, live with their families in, in either Toronto or a suburb of Toronto and, and end up commuting in. And then roughly 40% of students live in off-campus market housing. And in those situations, our students are competing with lawyers and bankers on Bay Street uh, for that housing. It drives up prices like crazy. We're in a position now where students are paying $2,000, $2,500, dollars $3,000 a month in rent, and it's really not sustainable. Uh, and, we, and we do see that in the data that we're, we've been collecting over this year, uh, where many students are telling us, roughly 30% of them actually, are, are telling us that they can't uh, have any certainty over whether they're going to be able to meet their rent payments in, in the coming months, uh, whether that's because of job instability or rent instability, because we're seeing rent hikes across the board. Um, and so what, the reason why we're kind of getting involved in this conversation now is because we do see a need for more housing in Toronto. We see a need for more general housing in Toronto so that there's more market availability and we don't see the supply crunch for the students who do want to live in market housing and for more student housing, uh, both on campus and off campus, where students don't have to compete with people who are earning proper salaries, proper income uh, for that really, really expensive housing. So we can see a kind of broad spectrum cooling down in the housing market that will make it a lot, lot more affordable for students to live in Toronto. This is an, an issue of academic a lot of students are, are commuting from really far distances uh, every single day. And so the cost adds up, time adds up, it impacts their studies. But it's also just an issue of economic stability and, and economic agency for these students who are finding that a significant portion of 
they're really small incomes, uh, given that we're all students, we don't really have the ability to work more than a part-time job. A lot of that is taken up by by the housing costs, um, and so it really does impact our ability to properly function in the city. I think the major thing that we see just from a student perspective, because that's, that's really why I feel most comfortable speaking to, uh, is a lot of students leaving the city of Toronto after they finish their studies. Um, we, we have seen a growing number of students either go to other cities in Ontario or, or in Canada or leave the country altogether in, in search of cheaper housing costs, better job opportunities, um, better transit is, is a major one. We have a lot of students who come to Toronto and just hate not being able to get around the city effectively. Um, and so they end up moving to a place like New York with a better subway system. Um, and, and that really impacts our ability to compete economically. But it also kind of just breaks the initial like chain that we want to set up uh, by having high quality post-secondary education in Toronto. The point of having University of Toronto where it is is to be able to train incredible talent and then keep people in the city to allow the city to grow and, and develop and allow the country by extension the province to grow and develop. And when we're losing people who are the, the best trained people in, in the country, the, the best educated people in the country, then we're not able to compete in the same way. I and mean, that just compounds all these issues. It makes the housing crisis worse. It makes uh, particularly our educational deficit worse, our healthcare deficit worse. We are in massive need of new nurses and doctors. And we have medical students leaving Toronto because we just can't afford to live here. It's not sustainable and it really is something that we're seeing as a broader social issue. And Thompson explained what MNTO and the UTSU are looking for from the city and how students can help with this. So I think the, the very basic thing that we're calling for right now is for the city of Toronto to put into writing that they will actually commit to the measures that Councillor Bradford put forward towards the end of yesterday's city council meeting, uh, which I recognize is extended until today. Um, but those measures, uh, I'm just pulling them up now so that I am not misspeaking, uh, but really speak to getting some more missing mis metal into the housing market. Um, they speak to, uh, here we go, so allowing four stories and six units in neighborhoods across the city, um, allowing for missing metal projects to be completed much, much more simply uh, by having pre-approved designs, getting rid of no net and new shadow policies, uh, and working to step up the um, transit station allowances. These are things that all so have all been covered by Councillor Bradford's motion uh, from a report standpoint, saying, you know, go and research this staff and, and then come back in mid-2024 and, and present a report to Council, and then we'll decide from there whether or not we want to adopt it, uh, which arguably was, was kind of, you know, a major step. Uh, but now what we're looking to do is, is see if we can get into writing that we actually will legislate those changes uh, in line with some of the, what uh, the other neighboring municipalities in the second Mississauga have been able to do, saying, to the staff actually go out and do this so that we can improve our housing accelerator fund application. Um, and you know, from a student perspective, there's a lot more that could happen. Uh, we're particularly interested in making it uh, some sort of build bid rise in the city uh, because we need more student housing. And right now, any student housing that we propose in order to make it cost effective has to be you know upwards of eight to 10 stories. And that requires any changes. And that costs you know the university a lot to, to deal with. It costs student unions a lot to deal with. 
discuss nonprofits a, a fortune uh, and really just drives up the cost of projects, which means we have fewer units available for students, uh, which is not great. We'd also love something like land use deadlines um, to be able to actually force the developers into using the land that they currently have instead of waiting out to see if they can wait until there's lower interest rates. Um, and then another major thing would be greater allowances in laneway housing um, or stepping up and, and seeing if we can try to find a way to to support students directly and say, you know, with this housing accelerator fund allowance, we'll direct a certain portion of funds to student-specific housing uh, in a similar way to, to the London uh, application that got approved over the summer. That's our show. You've been listening to The Final Word on Met Radio 1280 AM in Toronto. I'm Gabriela Silvaponte. This episode was put together by myself and Gabriel Hilty. Thank you for listening live, and we'll see you again next week.